What you're about to listen to is a Pod Bros exclusive. Age of the Geek, baby. We run the world. I see you shiver with anticipation. Man, what's gotten into you? running smoothly and you nerd compendium book club nerd <laughs> compendium book club hey we're gonna talk about books and hey, most of them not on topic all right everybody you know what time it is it is something that has been waiting for and culminating for quite a while now i'm joined in studio not via skype but actually in studio mano a mano with el guapo the John Patrick. Hello, everybody. How's it going, man? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you there. Not work busy, but a lot of side project busy. Well, it was kind of work busy because you actually went to uh, Confusion here recently. I did. I was there for the whole weekend. Um, I got to meet a couple of authors that I have... Really enjoyed uh, Jim Butcher. And, peace talk? Anytime? Anytime? Yeah. Anytime soon? I, I asked. He said he could tell me, but then he'd have to kill me. I'd be willing to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure you tweet it out first. Fun fact, fun fact, <laughs> not as tall as his dust jacket cover picture look makes him look. <laughs> He's still at least six foot, right? Oh, God, no. I've got, like, a, almost a head on him. Oh, sh- oh man. I mean, not maybe a full head, but at least at least a few inches on him. Yikes. Yeah. Um, but we are getting a uh, Case Files book uh, June this year. Ooh. So that'll be all the short, short stories since uh, the previous Case Files book. I believe it's called Brief Cases. And I, like I said, I think it's first week of June release. Nice. Well, that gives us a little something Dresden-esque. Yeah, and and it has absolutely my favorite Dresden short story in it, which is Even Hand, and that's the one that's told by Marconi. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And who else did you meet when you were at Confusion? Uh, I got to meet Michael Underwood. Uh, How's he doing? He is doing well. I uh, told him you were going to make it out, but uh, schedules didn't uh, line up. And, and Confusion's funny, because it's, it's very much a, a literature convention. Oh, yeah. uh, there's gaming, and there's, there's other stuff, but it's, it's very focused on the literature. So you have all the authors who hang out at the bar in the, the main lobby, and they're all the people who hang with them. And then you have all the con people... Who are going to the room parties and go like doing all the the like extracurricular activities while the authors are sitting? So it's like whatever you want to do. If you want to sit and have beer and drink with the authors, they're all there, and you can just walk up to them, buy them a drink, and talk. Um, I got to meet uh, John Scalzi. He oh, was nice! There. He was there as well. I got him to sign a short story collection. He edited and wrote one of the stories for called Metatropolis. Um, he told me one of the other authors who wrote one of the stories, Tobias Buckle, was there as an attendee. So I was trying to track him down <laughs> to get him to sign it too, but I just couldn't run into him. Man. Yeah, school was kicking my posterior that weekend or else I would have made it out. Oh, yeah, it was a good con. Um, I mean, it's... It's a nice start to the con season. It's uh, a little more laid back than PenguinCon, which is like my all-time favorite local con. But I'm looking forward to that in May? First weekend of May, yeah. Yeah, because it goes PenguinCon, Motor City, and then Capital City. Ugh, yeah. One of these... I gotta make it back out to Motor City. I, I haven't bet... 
I haven't been since it was at the old building. Oh, God. That's been uh, five years? Oh, no. No, no. The Novi Expo Center. Oh, God. You're talking like seven to ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've already got my room booked for PenguinCon and... Um, Actually, so Confusion was the start of my con season. Uh, then next month, I will be in Schaumburg for Adepticon. Then af- the next con after that on my schedule is PenguinCon. And after that, I will probably be free till... Gen Con. No, Origins. Oh! Yeah, I'm probably not, not going to make Gen Con. Uh, it's, I can do Origins as a day. I can drive down there. I really only go to hit the dealer room and talk to a few industry people I know who who are going to be there and kind of see what's going on. Uh, But Gen Con's a travel, and uh, so is Adepticon, and yeah, (laughs) my yearly travel budget is Adepticon. Man. So, with it being the Nerd Book Club, we talk about books. So Kind of. Yeah, along with other stuff in the nerd and geek culture, but still, right. it, mostly books. So what's the book that you've been reading or just got done reading? Um, I Well, the last time we talked, I told you I was just getting ready to start uh, Jerusalem by Alan Moore. I made it about a third of the way through, and my brain could not take it anymore. Wonderful book, amazing book, incredibly, dis- beautifully descriptive. It, it reminded me a lot of Stephen King's writing. Stephen King builds a world so lifelike that you just fall into it. Oh, yeah. And that's a lot of what I got from Alan Moore's descriptions. But because the book is short story collections that he wrote that all are moving around this timeline. It's a lot to take in, and uh, yeah, I, I had to take a break. Yeah, I was the same way. I, I probably got not even a third, maybe a quarter of the way through, and I was like tapping out. It's like, okay, I'm done. I need a break. <laughs> yeah, so – and it worked out because um, the last book in the three-body trilogy uh, came out, uh, Death's End, so I wrote that. Or no, I didn't write that. I read that. Really? You wrote it? Yeah. <laughs> then um, the latest book in the Warhammer 40K Gaunt's Ghost series, which has been, uh, I think, like four years waiting for it, just came out. So I read that. And a couple other things. Right now I'm reading, the book I'm currently reading is uh, Mech Age of Steel, which is a collection of mech suit uh, short stories that I got off Kickstarter about a year ago. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been, like I was telling you before I hit record, I've been reading a lot of like nonfiction and uh, quote-unquote self-help books. Right. Uh, one of them is uh, Move Your Bus. It's a, what type of person are you? Uh, how are you going to motivate people? Are you going to be the one who's running, getting the bus moving? Because just think of a bus kind of like the Flintstone mobile. Are you going to be Fred like, Running like the Dickens, or you go be Barney just sitting there, or you go be Wilma just jogging along, like the type of people you're going to be. I have enough trouble motivating myself. (laughs) The idea of motivating other people is just like next level for me. Yeah. This book was like a very quick read because it's only like maybe a hundred pages long. Oh, it's one of, okay. I, um, through my job, I see a lot of the professional speaker circuits. Exactly. And they all have their little book, which is that little hundred page book. And I've gotten a few of, some of them are really good. Yeah. Um, Roy Clark is the author of this one. Yeah. Uh, there was one I got that I really loved. The guy used to be a, a waiter at very high end restaurants and, and it was a very insightful look into how uh, the process for selling and upselling and uh, customer service, things like that. I wish I, God, I wish I could remember the name of it. I'll have to look when I get home. But I have also read two different Bruce Campbell books. Oh, for Christmas, uh, one of, somebody in my group of friends got me his second autobiography, Hail to the Chin. Yes. 
autographed, so it now sits on my shelf in my collection right next to my <laughs> copy of If Chins Could Kill, which is also autographed. Yeah, I, I read that one. I also read uh, Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way. Oh, I did not know that existed, and now I need to add it to my book collection. <laughs> it It's not the type of book that you think it would be. Um, it first off starts off with his first ever, like, major motion picture role. I'm not talking Evil Dead. I'm not talking any of the, like, B-rated. I'm talking he was um, Floyd, the doorman in a Richard Greer or Gear movie mm-hmm. and how he got the role and how he took being this quote unquote um, Cyrano de Bergerac type character in the movie and turning it into his own. You know what? I'm going to help people make love the Bruce Campbell way. Oh, I, I don't know if I've told my Bruce Campbell story on the podcast, but no, no, you haven't. Now this this goes back to um when his first when his his first autobiography of Chins Could Kill came out he was doing a book signing at the Borders that should tell you how old it was in Dearborn oh god i used to work near that building yeah so uh my friend Tom and i we both took the day off work we're both waiting in line and we're sitting there we're like all right what are we going what are we going to say like we we can't just be like oh man we loved you in Evil Dead and the things that everybody's gonna say. So finally we figured it out and we're gonna and we've decided you know we're gonna go up to him and we're gonna say Bruce Campbell we loved you in Congo. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know Bruce Campbell is in Congo for I think exactly thirty seconds. He doesn't actually even physically appear in the movie. He appears as a video recording on a screen that the characters watch. <laughs> then later in the movie is found as a desiccated corpse. Oh, God. <laughs> so we're like, this is perfect. We go up there and we're like, man, we loved you in Congo. And he just looks at us and does that. <laughs> I got the best set of boots I ever owned from that movie. And regales us with the story of him getting his wardrobe and just getting these amazing, like, very, very expensive hiking boots that fit him perfectly and him just walking off the set with them. (laughs) So by going obscure, we got a private little Bruce Campbell story and it was great. Oh, man. That. Now I'm going to have to watch. Congo again just to see Bruce Campbell's cameo in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, he's not he is not as a human being in the film, he is a video that the characters watch. Man. But a couple other books. I read a um sci fi classic, Dune, by Frank Herbert. You know, I have never read any of the Dune books. I have seen the the both of the Dune movies. The the uh, Sting one, uh, what's his name directed? Uh, that whose name I can't remember. Um, that guy in the hat. No, the guy from uh, the guy who directed Twin Peaks. Oh 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 oh! Darn it! <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, me too. Anyways, his Dune movie and then the Sci Fi Channel Dune movie, but I've never read the books. The book was actually pretty interesting. It. Kind of like uh, Jerusalem, it drug on, mm. but once you got probably about 20 chapters into it, it sped up and it kept your interest, but it's just getting to that point, right. kind of like a roller coaster, it's like tick, 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 you're at the 20th chapter, then all of a sudden, whoosh, ah! Yeah, I, I heard it, it's very Machiavellian political maneuvering, a lot of that going on, which I like if you're going to do it in a book, but don't do it in the way that Robert Jordan did it, where it's like, we're going to go so deep into it that when a new book comes out, you have to spend the first hundred pages of the book 
just letting everybody know what happened in the last book. Yeah, and David Lynch, by the way. David Lynch, thank you. I should have known it. It was one of my names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the Of what I've read recently, I have to say probably the best thing I've read is the... Uh, is Death's End, the, the book. Uh, the author's n- name is... Oh, it's written by uh, Chin Lu, I believe, because it, it's a Chinese um, story, and that's the interesting part about it. It's this sci-fi trilogy, but it's written from a completely different cultural perspective. And it was one of the first sci-fi anythings I've read where it's the story of human humans going out into the wider universe and discovering not only are we not top dog, we are so far to the bottom of the spectrum of what is going on that it is easier for other aliens to essentially wipe us out than even think about us. Oh, man. Um and it develops into this cold war between this other race of aliens we discover, the Trisolarians. And we both understand that the the universe is a finite number of resources. So all other species in the universe would rather prevent another upcoming species from attaining resources by wiping them out. Hmm. So we develop this standoff method of okay, you guys can't invade us and take our resources or we'll broadcast to the universe where your planet is and they won't, we can't invade them because they'll do the same to us. Wow. That sounds mighty interesting. It really is. It really is. And it, like I said, it's... Um, the The first book is super fascinating because it deals with the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the rise of communism, and how that affects thing, or how that would affect if they were the first country to make contact with uh, another civilization. Hmm. And the, the books themselves aren't too long. The science is really good in them. So it's definitely, I would recommend reading the series. Well, I did take you up on one of your recommendations. I did read Leviathan Wake. Yes, uh... That is probably the next book on my sh- or the uh, next book in the in the Expanse trilogy. Caliban's War is probably the next thing in my to read slot. And I will say it did take me a little while to get into Leviathan Wake. Probably mm-hmm. about eh, maybe a third of the way through the book before yeah. I finally. All right, this is starting to get good, and it's like it makes me wonder compared to the TV show, does it even hold up or? Well, what I actually found interesting was I had watched the TV show before I read the book. And having the image of the characters, because the book focuses on, it's two spotlight characters. It's written a lot of the same way um, the Game of Thrones is written, where it's, okay, we're going to talk, or we're going to write one chapter from this character's point of view, and then the next chapter is written from a second character's point of view. Yeah. because the um, the Expanse series is written by two of George R. R. Martin's assistants, it's written they write it under the pen, pen name James Corey. Oh, okay. Um, so you get that that style of storytelling, but in Leviathan's Wakes, there's only two spotlight characters, so it gets a little ping pongy at certain points, especially when they're both in the same place. Yeah. Um, but like I said, having seen the show first and having the frame of reference of those characters or those actors portrayal of the characters kind of helps with the book because you can visualize it a little better. And I, I'll admit I was surprised. One of the things I loved about the Expanse TV show was how well they depicted the physics of space travel and the physics of life in space. And so when I was going to read The Expanse, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a good, hard sci-fi, and we're going to get a lot of this. And it's not. The science is actually a very backseat to the characters. Yeah. So the book itself is more about the characters, 
And it's a lot like how I feel about the Dresden Files. Part of the story is a good old-fashioned detective story. It's um, the one character trying to solve the murder or the disappearance of Julie Mao. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting how it was kind of George R. R. Martin-esque between the viewpoints, but also not just like Dresden-esque, but it kind of also felt like Brotherhood of the Wheel for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they're going somewhere. You could tell that there is a definite uh, end in sight, but you're kind of getting sidetracked along the way to all these different things. And I I thought it was fairly well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, it'll be a series that I want to continue on with, because although I like sci-fi, I'm not that much into sci-fi. I'm more of the fantasy side of the sci-fi fantasy realm. Yeah. Where it, you're more the sci-fi yeah, over fantasy. I, I was talking with a few people at uh, Confusion about this, and I realized, man, I'm really not that big into high fantasy. I'll, I'll read urban fantasy. I'll read a little bit of steampunk. But, man, I just do not read a lot of high fantasy. And... I'm the opposite way. I'll read. I just read a uh, first of a trilogy called Steamborn by Eric R. Asher, the same guy that wrote the Vesic series. Mm -hmm. He wrote his take of a steampunk novel that mixes steampunk and technopunk. Right. And it's a very interesting mixture of the two. Um, And granted, I didn't actually read the book because I don't own a physical copy. I did the audiobook mm-hmm. and the audiobook is narrated by the same actress that voiced uh the nurse in the Pokemon cartoon. Yeah. I, I know I'm talking Greek yeah. to you. I didn't know if your kids watched it or not. They do and Daddy usually tones out and reads his book. <laughs> but yeah, um she does a great job narrating the book except when it comes to the male voices all the male voices pretty much sound alike yeah that's a one thing about audiobooks that i can't stand yeah i will admit james marston does a great job doing the dresden files audiobooks yeah um, he spoils you yeah he does um i i, I did finally just get a, a subscription to audible because um, Audible signed a deal with the Black Library, who does all the Warhammer 40K books. Oh, nice. So now a lot of the Warhammer 40K audiobooks are available on Audible. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I've been going through and listening to a couple of those. Might have to see if any of the Horace Hearsay novels are on there. Oh, yeah. they uh, a good. I know at least the first whole trilogy is, um, which is a great start point into the series. And they haven't converted the entire Horus Hearsay series, but there's a lot of the books in there. Nice. Um, trying to <laughs> gotta get back to the stupid app I use to mark my books. Right. Um, a friend suggested I check out Miss Peregrine's House of Peculiar Children. Mm-hmm. I picked up all three books of physical copies for practically a song right. through an online catalog. I was pleasantly surprised with the book. Mm-hmm. It was a quick read. and well, it, It's young adult fiction. Yeah. So. But the the story behind it is not really young adult, although it is young adult. Right. It's like, I would put this more of a 20-something series to read, although the character is like 18. Mm. But it was a quick read. It was an interesting read because think X-Men first class type era and it's a time loop with X-Men first class. Some average Joe just is able to pop in there. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to him, he actually has a quote unquote peculiar power. And his power is he could see what would technically be the Sentinels for the X-Men. Okay. 
but here it's just this what they call the hollow it's a creature that will devour the power and essence of a peculiar child to kill him mm-hmm. very morbid very crazy after i read the first book i was like okay i'm going to watch the movie that they used or that they created on netflix the first samuel l jackson movie where he doesn't say mother effer that's sacrilege i know but (laughs) well no it's not the first um he's been in movies where he doesn't say it um but we want him to say (laughs) it in every movie um, I believe no, he does. I, he doesn't say it in Star Wars. He doesn't say it in Star Wars. I, I would. I'm unsure if he said it in Jurassic Park. He did. Um. Uh, in. I don't know if he said it in the Red Violin, which is one of his like really early movies. Um. Yeah, it's, and. But yeah, we want him to say it. <laughs> I remember a very long time ago, right when they announced the prequel trilogies, um, Samuel L. Jackson was on uh, The Late Show with David Letterman. Okay. And that is where he professed his wanting to be in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Um, and he was like, I'll be, I- I'll be Lando's dad, or La- I'll be a stormtrooper, just, just please... George Lucas, please let me be in Star Wars. So David Letterman did this montage of all of Samuel L. Jackson's roles, but like saying what he did was is like his whatever role he did was badass. <laughs> so it was like in um, in Die Hard with a Vengeance, he played a badass uh, TV repair guy. <laughs> um, in and then it was if they didn't have in uh, remote control. He played a badass cable guy. Um, in Jurassic Park, he got eaten by a badass dinosaur. <laughs> and so on and so forth. I've never been able to find a clip of it. and it ex- So I am I believe it only exists in my memory. <laughs> but I remember an article that I read where he was talking about how he was the only one, technically the only canon character to ever have a purpled, Hued lightsaber. Yes. And he was like, when I finally got the role for, or in Phantom Menace, they're like, well, we have to create you a lightsaber. He's like, I want that mother to be purple. They're like, why? He's like, because it'll be memorable, motherfucker. <laughs> Not that many people have a purple lightsaber. Yeah, there, there was, uh, there was the the list that went around the internet at the time of the top 10 things we hope Samuel L. Jackson will say in the new Star Wars trilogy, but probably won't. One of them was, hand me my lightsaber. It's the one that says badass motherfucker on it. (laughs) Uh, Other notables were, bocce motherfucker, do you speak it? (laughs) But in this movie, he has a white afro. Like the Albert Einstein afro. Mm. And it's a pretty creepy role for him. It, I think it is one of the few villainous roles, other than Mr. Glass from Unbreakable. And Split. And Split. Well, he's only referenced in right. Split. You never see him. But one of the few villainous roles that you... One of the few villainous roles that when you're watching it, you're like... Man, when are they just going to kill him? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, God, I haven't really even, I, I, I watched Star Wars, The Last Jedi, like four times. That's going to be a whole separate rant. <laughs> um, God, I watched Blade Runner 2049. I still have not seen it yet. Oh. I, I own a copy of it but i haven't seen it yet then why are we doing this and not watching blade runner <laughs> because it my copy is digital oh so uh, i saw that a bunch of times i saw thor a bunch of times but other than that man i haven't really not been 
I discovered Twitch recently and have <laughs> pretty much just stopped watching TV. Yeah, I've been uh, pretty much going around to stores and taking pictures of barcodes of movies. That way I'm spending like two to five bucks to get a digital copy of the movie. Oh, yeah. So, uh, like, Wait, I take, I take it back. I did start watching Altered Carbon on uh, sci-fi or on Netflix. Let's see. Recently, I watched Lady Hawk for the first time. Oh, so good. So, so good. So 80s, but so good. I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack sold it for me. Um, which which is referenced in Ready Player One. Yep. Uh, the new Baywatch movie. Ugh. Cringe, if you will. It is funnier than you think just to hear uh, The Rock say, uh, fucker or fuck, so many times throughout the movie. It was it was like he was playing Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, uh, no, I... Well, alone the dick scene in the morgue kind of sold it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I actually remember when Baywatch was first on and watching it and enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me remember why. Slow motion running of Pamela Anderson when she was good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that explains a lot. Or Yasmin Bleeth when she was good looking. Yep. Or Nicole Eggert when she was small. I believe that's a mystery solved, Shaggy. <laughs> uh, another movie I saw in another totally eighties movie, Real Genius. Oh, so great, so great. Uh, Stand by Me. Oh man, I haven't seen that in forever. Um, Hitman's Bodyguard. Eh, it's one of those things that if it came on TV and there was nothing else to watch, I would probably watch it. I don't think I would ever go out of my way to see it. I will say I was kind of leery about watching it, but I nearly had a heart attack four times watching it. I was laughing so hard. And being a fat guy, yes, you can have a heart attack from laughing. Um, I will say I did watch and slightly enjoy, at points, Ghostbusters answered the call. You know, I don't dislike it because it's new. I don't dislike it because it's an all-female cast. I dislike it because it didn't capture the same vibe as Ghostbusters. The original Ghostbusters, if you watch it, was with a, was made with a somewhat serious tone. There were points of levity, but it was actually considered a dark comedy. Yes. And this one was almost exclu- it was almost made to be a slapstick. Yeah. It could have been a Mel Brooks copy. Of Ghostbusters. That would have made it so much better. And the fact that they completely severed it from the existing Ghostbusters universe. Well. They they could have made it a continuation. And somewhere out there, there's a, a synopsis somebody wrote of a, 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 a possible third Ghostbusters that was floating around. And it was amazing. If that was the movie they would have made... I would probably have paid, I probably would have seen it a dozen times in theaters. But didn't they say that the only reason why they will never make the third Ghostbuster movie is because Rick Moranis will not be in it? No, that's why they won't make a second Star Wars. Spaceballs, you mean? Yeah, the the sole factor holding up Spaceballs to the search for more money is Rick Moranis. Um, Rick Moranis, his wife passed away. And he completely retired from acting. Um, his one and only time he came back, I believe, was... Um, oh, Honey, Dave, they shrunk my bank account? No. Uh, Dave Thomas, the other guy from Bob and Doug McKenzie. Yes. Uh, a relative, I believe, either his son or one of his children or somebody very close to him was in a terrible ski accident. Um, and was, I believe, paralyzed, so they were doing a fundraiser for him. And 
Rick Moranis agreed to come back and do a skit of the Great White North with Dave Thomas. Yeah, but I heard something about... Now, granted, we don't have Egon anymore. Yeah, the the real factor that always prevented us from getting Ghostbusters 3 was the fact that after Groundhog's Day, um, Bill Murray and... Ramis? Harold Ramis had a falling out and pretty much refused to work with each other ever again. Um, And that was the big issue. That was the big hurdle, is you cannot do a movie. Ghostbusters was what it was because of Bill Murray's acting and Harold Ramis's writing. Yes. And without either of those elements, it never would have been as good as evidenced by <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, God bless them for trying to do something something new. It's just, I had no interest in it. And it was, I watched it, didn't care for it, and moved on. I kind of liked the cameos that they had. Yeah. Ramus's bust and the college. Um Ackroyd being the cabbie. Um, you had Bill Murray being the um, skeptic. Mm-hmm. And then you get to see at the very end Ernie Hudson being the mortician. Right. Um, I thought their use of Chris Holmesworth was just, okay, we need a male Janine. Yeah. Although Janine was also in uh, Ghostbusters, mm. um, but he pretty much played the Janine role. Yeah. And I thought it was totally pointless. Um, Yeah, it, it was one of those things where you could have inserted almost anybody into that role. Yeah. Chris Pine into the role, or heck. No, um Chatham Tanning. Channing Tatum? Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. The more I see of him, the more I love him because he is just like the happiest person in the world to be Chatham Tanning. He, it's like when they did, uh, 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 what was that movie where, oh shit, it was 21 Jump Street? No, not 21 Jump Street. It 22 was, Jump Street? No, it was the one where it was like the end of the world and, um, they were like a bunch of actors. I think it was Jack Black. Oh, oh, oh! It came out around Christmas time. Yeah, it came out the same time as it's the or at the world's end by with Simon Pegg. The uh, this or uh, the end. Oh, that's right. With Seth Rogen. And and I believe it, there was like a bunch of uh, there was a bunch of cameos in it. It was. Yeah, uh, what's her face? Um, this Emma is, Watson was right. in it. This is the end. And when the, Seth Seth Rogen was pitching that movie, he went to Chatham Tanning and he was like, hey, we want to do this joke at the end of the movie where there's going to be this roving pack of like post-apocalyptic people and there's going to be a guy in a gimp mask and we're going to say it's you. Is that okay? To which Chatham Tanning, or Channing Tatum replied, Sure, as long as I get to be in the gimp mask. <laughs> they're like, it's not. They're not going to know it's you. They're never going to see you. He's like, yeah, but still, yeah. Um, that's kind of like the GI Joe movies. Uh, yeah, had great, great inspiration behind it. Uh, you have Ray Park playing Snake Eyes. Christopher Eccleston is Destro. I mean, you have a decent amount of guests. You had great source material. You had very good actors. And, well, you know, Marlon Wayans? Yeah, Marlon Wayans. He's a good actor. He's funny. I mean, like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I love white chicks more than <laughs> probably any any heterosexual male should love white chicks, but I love that movie. More than Terry Crews? 
Dude, Terry Crews is one of my favorite parts of that movie. How did you know? <laughs> now I wonder. <laughs> like, oh my god! The, you guys are missing out. I I swear you guys are missing out because you're not seeing him actually go through the miming of the song. It's hilarious. If he comes out with the like do 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 popping his head left and right, I'm just going to like. Stop this and go laugh. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you had all that, and you made a mediocre action movie. Well, the sequel wasn't much better. No, no, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Overboard. Oh, Kurt Russell. Thank you. Oh my god, I could not... Oh yeah, this has been 30 minutes of us forgetting actors' names. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt Russell was in one or both of the G.I. Joe movies. Dennis Quaid was in the first one. Uh, Dennis Quaid. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in the first one. Oh my god. And... Sienna Miller was in the first one. Um, okay, so... Now that we've completely left talking about books and we're into movies. Hey, hey, comic books? But No. Um, there was a movie in the late 90s with Dennis Quaid and, uh, called Undercover Blues. If you have never seen this movie, go and see this movie. It is about a couple who are spies and are vacationing in New Orleans... And they get drawn into this crazy scheme of this Russian supervillain who's got this incredibly powerful explosives. And the whole time they're trying to solve the mystery of where she is while they're avoiding people learning their spies. Um, it is just... And it's Dennis Quaid being charming for two hours. Um... Kathleen Turner is in it. Stanley Tucci's in it. Oh, God. Uh, uh, dude, Stanley Tucci plays this street pickpocket named Muerte. And as soon as Dennis Quaid character meets him, uh, Stanley Tucci goes, my name is Muerte. And, and Dennis Quaid looks at him and goes, well, pleased to meet you, Morty. And the rest of the movie, everybody calls him Morty, and it drives him slowly insane. I was just looking up um, the cast of both of the G.I. Joe movies, and Russell's, or Kurt Russell is not mentioned in either one. Okay, it might be Dennis Quaid, but I could have sworn Kurt Russell was in Bruce it. Willis was in the second one. Yeah, yeah, Bruce Willis. <laughs> you know, every year I watch Die Hard on Christmas. You have to. It's a Christmas movie. It is. It is. Just uh, like Gremlins. Right. Um, Die Hard meets every qualification of a Christmas movie. A, it takes place on Christmas. B, all the actors reference the fact that it takes place on Christmas. Um, C, the fact that it takes place on Christmas is a pivotal point of the plot. It's a Christmas movie. And, uh, D, it's not Christmas until you see Hans Gruber fall out of the Nakamura building. Nakatomi Tower. Nakatomi. Um, but what I was saying is every year I watch Die Hard, and every year I'm just more and more amazed on, like, God, how young Bruce Willis looks in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, and I know I posted on Facebook on my personal page, um, I was rewatching Sons of Anarchy. Around the same time. And if you start the season finale of season six, I think it is, at 11.50, or no, at 10.51 and some odd seconds, the time that Katie Seagal's character, Gemma, takes a fork and plunges it into the back of Tara's head to kill her, 
it'll hit exactly at midnight. I stopped watching Sons of Anarchy, I think, at the end of season three or season four. When they went to Ireland? No, it was after they went to Ireland, and there's the the ATF agent. Yes. When they finally kill her. Okay. And blame it on the, the IRA and wrap up that entire story arc, and then they go to prison f- for violating their parole. That's where I watched like the season after that and never really got into it. It was when they wrapped that story arc, it made such a perfect, complete story that I didn't really care about the next thing to come. It was just like they could have ended the series right there and it would have been perfect. It would have been a great show. It may get better or it may get into other stuff later on. I just lost interest in it. Well, I mean, you kind of have to watch it for if you know who Walter Goggins is from S.H.I.E.L.D. fame and uh, Justified and all the other TV shows, his transvestite role as Venus Van Damme top notch especially when uh there's a whole love story between his character and kim coates character yeah it's being a theater person and knowing the gays and lesbians and transgender it is something that you have to see just the interaction between because you're like god such great work but oh my god is it creepy oh I only care about one transvestite, and he's sweet and transsexual from Transylvania. And he's now a Disney princess. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. Frankenfurter is not a Disney princess. He's a Disney queen. He is a Disney queen. Corporal Klinger. (laughs) And I I, I apologize because I have made this comment, and it received a lot of flack on internets because it it transgender people sometimes do not take it well and you know that's they they're living their lives i am an outside person if they are telling me they're offended then i am probably saying something wrong um but corporal clinger is kind of a disney princess now yeah never really got into mash but i love the scene the theme song to it. I love MASH. I, and it's so funny because I, when I grew up watching MASH, I grew up watching it as reruns on like Fox at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it's just, it, it was, it led me into this show where it was, it's a funny show. And then they're using humor to hit you with very adult themes. Yeah. And and that I just found that fascinating. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but it took place during the Korean War conflict. It's set during the Korean War. However, it is made almost exclusively to look like Vietnam. Yeah. Um. Even the the movie especially was they wanted it to look like Vietnam, but they couldn't make a movie about Vietnam, so they set it during Korea. Um, so yeah, yeah. And in fact, the show lasted longer than the actual Korean conflict. But yeah, I remember you, uh, posting that on, I want to say Twitter and also on Facebook. And I turned around to my boss, who's a big nerd and was like, you know what? With Disney buying, uh, Fox... That means Klinger's now a Disney princess. And he's like, he's always been a princess. Well, I'll tell you what. It hit top... F- I, I, I posted that meme on Reddit. It hit top five on our funny. Oh, God, nice. Would have gone higher, but it was a damn cat gif. And you're never going to get higher than a cat gif. <laughs> well, time for us to rate the books that we've read. That we talked about probably about 30 minutes ago. Um, the books that you read. the Getting into the third of uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, yeah, the Jerusalem is a great book, but it is definitely a very heavy read. Um, some people like that. Um, I like that, but I usually do it in small doses if I can. Because this is a short story compendium, even though the short stories mix, it's easy to take a break and come back to it. 
Um, so I will give a full grade on that when I finish it. All right. Um, your Chinese uh, Death sci-fi? End. Yes, uh, there we the, go. I, I believe the series is called Memories of Earth's Past. Um, but uh, Death's End is an amazing book. Um, it, it it deals a lot with cultural themes. It deals a lot with um, how we as a society need to move forward, and when we and we only seem to be able to do that when we have a threat, and when that threat is no longer present, we backslide. And so, yes, a great book. It nine out of ten. Uh, there, there, there are some things that you may not pick up on, like I said, because it's a cultural difference. Yeah, the book was originally written in Chinese, and then is translated back to English by a, another Chinese descent author who also writes sci-fi. So he does a pretty good job of adjusting the translation so everything makes sense. But still, there are some cultural things that they have little appendices notes to let you know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I forget. Did you read anything else? I read lots of things. Um, I read uh, The War Master by Dan Abnett, which is the most recent book in the Gaunt's Ghost series set in Warhammer 40K. I actually... I'd give it maybe a 6 out of 7. It felt like... It didn't feel like a whole novel. It felt like two novellas telling two different stories that were mashed together in one book. The first part of the story takes place on a ship in space. Things happen. Then midway through the book, they land due to wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. They, <laughs> really? Yeah, wibbly, literally, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. They're 10 years displaced in time. So they arrive 10 years after they were expected to. They've all been considered dead. Um, and once they get back, it's a different conflict. They're in this war and things are happening. But it it feels so disjointed from the first half of the book. It's like, why are these together? So I love the series. If this were two novellas that each told their parts of the story, they'd be great. Putting them together in one book was confusing. All right. Um, anything else that you want to give a rating on that uh, you read? Nope. That's most of the completed stuff. Uh, in the queue, like I said, is the uh, Mech Age of Steel anthology. And then after that's going to be probably uh, Caliban's War, book two of The Expanse. All right. For me, we started off with... Um, I did both If Chins Could Talk, Confessions of a B Actor, and Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way, run pretty much back-to-back. Um, both of those I'd give like an 8.5 to 9 out of 10. Both were something, a palate cleanser, if you will. It's nonfiction, but with Bruce Campbell, even nonfiction is fiction. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't have it any other way. Um, Move Your Bust, which was a recommendation from my boss to read to kind of... Um, it's one of those books that will give you a little bit of inspiration to better motivate yourself, but it's also a book to where, no matter where you are in a career, if you start feeling that you are becoming a person that's just going to be a rider on the bus you need to change careers and look for something else begin to motivate yourself going elsewhere miss peregrine's uh home for peculiar children i liked it i thought it was an interesting read um the movie kind of slaughtered the entire antithesis of the book in my opinion i give that a probably an eight out of ten uh, Steamborn, the first book in the Steamborn trilogy. Um, very good book if you like steampunk and techno-punk type books. Um, it was kind of drawn out, but it's 
drawing it out because it's creating an entire world, which, like we say with uh, Robert Jordan and with Jerusalem, it takes a while to get into it, but once you finally do, it starts to get real good. Um, also, Red Dune, same thing. I think after reading it, I'll I have a better grasp and better understanding of the David Lynch movie. Mm -hmm. um, will I go on to read the plethora of books that Frank Herbert wrote or Brian Herbert took after? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Not sure. It's kind of like Leviathan Wakes. It's a good book. I give that a six and a half to seven out of ten. Will I continue on with the series? Maybe. Possibly, if there's something else that I don't want to read. Um, other than that, I did start another nonfiction book called Memoir of a Geisha. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that is a fiction book. Oh, it is? I thought it was a... With memoir, you'd think it'd be nonfiction. No, um, and, and actually, uh, my wife read it. Um, and it's... The, the story they tell in the book is it's the memoirs of this geisha and they waited until after this person died. But it's the same thing with the, uh, the novelization of the prince of the princess bride. It's presented that it's this story that's the person's telling the story and they're, they're, they're recounting events, but it's actually completely fabricated. Oh, okay. Cause I know I've seen the movie of it. Yeah. It, Ken Watanabe is an amazing oh yeah, I, actor. I, I've seen it. It's a very good movie. It's beautiful. Oh my god, it's beautiful. The costumes in it are, are yeah. It's probably one of the only reasons why I'll also watch uh, The Last Samurai. The costumes, the history, and Ken Watanabe. <laughs> uh, well, no, no. See, the thing about the thing you have to remember about The Last Samurai is Tom Cruise is in it. Literally, every single person in that movie. Down to the little, like, eight-year-old kid who doesn't really even speak acts better in that movie than Tom Cruise does. <laughs> like, literally, they're showing up Tom Cruise. Everybody acts better. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. It's a beautiful story. And, and even Tom Cruise is okay in it, but it's, it's a great movie. Yeah. But I'm about 30% of the way through the... Memoir of a Geisha. Mm. So next time we get together and do a nerd book club, I'll talk about that. I should have some other books to talk about as well. <laughs> and I know I will because I, I think out of my 30 or 40 books I want to read this year, I'm already about a third of the way through. <laughs> uh, I'm a little behind, but that's only because I, I've been reading. You have life. <laughs> well, I have life and uh, I'm a rather voracious miniature gamer and... One of my favorite games that has been out of publication came back after 10 years. So that's a whole new set of rules I need to read. Um, Warhammer came out with a completely new edition. So that's another set of books I need to read. Um, the Horus Hearsay Miniature War Game puts out a book every year. So that's, and those things are massive. So that's another set of rules I have to read. I, I read a lot of rules. Yeah. But are you a rule lawyer? No. No, I know people who are. I am not. <laughs> but, again, tell us where they can find you on the interwebs and whatnot in case people have questions about book recommendations or whatnot for you. Uh, you can find me on almost any social media platform as John Patrick MCP one word. That's where you can find me on Instagram. You will find all the posts I make there, mainly featuring miniatures I paint and my cats. Um... You can find my blog at johnpatrickmcp.com, um, and you can find me on Facebook as John Patrick. All right. Well, John, thank you ever so kindly for coming on. And everybody, you got to pick up a book every now and then, so why not pick up one of the books that we recommend? It will cover the vast genres of books. So, hey, why not read a little bit? All right, time for some housekeeping. As always, you can find me on Podbros Network, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. But you can also find me on Twitter at 
Dave the Nerd underscore TNC. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave's Nerd Compendium. All one word, no apostrophes. You can also go to davenc.com and find everything there. Find everything on podpros.com in the Dave the Nerd section. I have a YouTube channel. Just search Dave the Nerd. And I'll do like unboxings and I might do like a movie review or something on there just to give a little bit of content. And don't forget while you're on iTunes at Stitcher to rate the show five stars, thumbs up, whatever they take. And if you write a review, I can read it and then focus the show to be more about what you want to hear. So with all that being said, thank you ever so kindly And as always, and if you need a man, find a nerd. Overload. Pleasure overload. What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world.